My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. A kindergarten teacher told me once how she was preparing some little girls for their first Holy Communion. And she asked them, what was the meaning of the sanctuary lamp that burns near the tabernacle in every church? And one of the little girls said, that's to tell us that Jesus is at home in the tabernacle. And the teacher said I was rather impressed with that answer because she didn't just say that Jesus is there or he's present, but he's at home. And the teacher was saying that really that's the job of each one of us, to make Jesus feel at home. This meditation is about our Thanksgiving after Mass. It's a quiet time. It's a few very special and precious moments in the day when our Lord Jesus Christ, who is really, truly, and substantially present in the sacred host, body and blood, whole and entire, soul and divinity, present there within us. St. Teresa of Avila said we should entertain ourselves lovingly with the divine guest of our soul. It's a very special time in our day because our God is present within us. Moments which we have to try and protect. In some ways they're the most important moments of the day. Special moments to be particularly intimate with our Lord. To give him hospitality like Mary and like Martha, to make him feel at home in our souls, so that we also appreciate the gift. A very holy lady said to me recently, Father, when are we going to have the, the Eucharist again? <coughs> Referring to the pandemic problems. And I said, well, use this time to thank God for all the decades years, months, weeks, days, when we have had the Blessed Eucharist and live in the hope that we will have the Blessed Eucharist again. And so we can ask our Lord to foster in our soul a great love and appreciation for the real presence of our Lord. The Church has proposed certain prayers in every Missal, traditional prayers in the Church for the period of Thanksgiving written by St. Thomas Aquinas, St. Bonaventure, and others. Probably it's difficult for us to do better than those prayers. But occasionally we need to vary a little bit. Or discover some other prayers that move our heart or express our sentiments. And help us to cherish those moments. So that as our Lord touches our hearts, will we also touch his. He said uh, at the Last Supper, I have longed and longed 
to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. We could imagine our Lord saying those very same words to us every day when we receive him in the sacred host. I've longed and longed to come into your soul, to show you how much I love you. And so we need to appreciate those moments. It's the most ideal time for that intimate exchange of love. Lord, may it be a love of total self-giving. May I return your love so wholeheartedly that it's no longer really two of us but one, and so in body. May it be a love that vivifies me, unites me to you. He and me, you and me, and I in you. There may be certain phrases that come from the liturgy or from scripture that light up those moments. Or possibly the Holy Spirit will give us well, new lights or new intimacies or new consolations. Something to work at a little bit. St. John wrote, Blessed are they that are called to the wedding banquet of the Lamb. In Holy Communion, we get a foretaste while on earth of the love that we will experience in paradise, in the eternal wedding feast. We shall love Jesus eternally by being one with him eternally. And so we could try to thank our Lord for every Holy Communion. Imagine if we were only to receive communion once in our life. And our Lord makes himself available to us every day. The nun that prepared us for our first Holy Communion told us a little prayer, made the body, that when our, the priest places the host on your tongue, she said, you should say, may the body of our Lord Jesus Christ keep my soul to live forever. Beautiful prayer of a holy nun. She was referring to the pledge or the promise of eternal life that we get with the Eucharist. He who eats my body and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. And so we could try to ponder fruitfully the relation of Holy Communion to the Blessed Trinity. The Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit come to live in our souls in grace. We become spiritual tycoons. It's a special time to share with our Lord our intentions, our desires for this day, particular requests. We have his full attention. Many saints have recommended a certain period of time after Holy Communion. The sacred species may be last 10, 15 minutes. St. Teresa of Avila said, let us entertain ourselves lovingly with Jesus and not waste the hour that follows communion. It's an excellent time to deal with God and put before him the matters that concern our soul. As we know, the good Jesus remains within us until our natural warmth has dissolved the bread-like qualities. 
We should take great care not to lose so beautiful an opportunity to deal with him and lay our needs before him. She said the minutes that follow communion are the most precious we have in our lives. They are the minutes best suited on our part for dealing with God. And on his part, we're communicating his love to us. St. Louis de Montfort would not permit anything, any need or any assignment to serve as a reason for omitting or disturbing his thanksgiving. He said, I would not give up this hour of thanksgiving, even for an hour of paradise. And so these are heavenly minutes not to be wasted. St. Paul says, glorify and bear God in your body. There's no time in which these words taken literally apply so well as during the time immediately after receiving Holy Communion. St. Philip Neri used to, well, be a bit disturbed by people who would leave the church as soon as Mass is over. And on one occasion he got two water boys with lighted candles to go to accompany a man who had left the church right after his communion. Impressive lesson. Good manners. When a person receives a guest, well, he pauses to give his attention to him and takes interest in him. And if this guest is Jesus, well, then all the more. St. Teresa says, at every communion, Jesus gives us a hundredfold for the hospitality we show him. If we neglect that hospitality, well, maybe we'll have to answer for it later. A confrere of Padre Pio told how one day he went to confession to the Holy Friar and among other things, he confessed to omitting his thanksgiving after Holy Mass because some duty impeded him. While Padre Pio was lenient in judging the other faults, when he heard him confess this omission, his countenance became stern and he said firmly, let us see to it that our being unable is not just unwilling. I always have to make my thanksgiving, he said, otherwise I pay dearly. And so we need to give this matter serious thought and attention. Our Lord gives us this bread to make us strong. It's the true bread that comes down from heaven. The bread of angels. It's the nourishment of heroes. The sustenance of martyrs. The comfort of souls in their last agony. The bread of wheat that nourishes our bodies is not prepared with so much later labor only to be contemplated, it is made to be eaten. Thus the bread of life, the bread of angels, is not offered only for our adoration and homage, but was given to us as food. Let us go then and partake of this food to nourish and fortify our souls. My Lord repeats the affectionate summons 
mourning and weeping in this valley of tears. He says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. And so the bread of life is a source of strength, nourishes us. All the effects that human food, material food has on the body, our spiritual food has on the soul. And we need all that food and strength because the life of man on earth is a warfare, we're told in the book of Job. Our Lord's followers shall suffer persecution. And it's true that they that are Christ have crucified their flesh with its passions and concupiscences, says St. Paul. And that we ought to live as dead with Christ to the elements of the world. From this bread of life comes that strength whereby I can do all things in him who strengthens me. And so in Holy Communion, our Lord makes himself all mine. He's there for us continually. There was a story told of some nuns in communist China who were arrested, incarcerated with other prisoners and forbidden even to pray. The guards observed their gestures, their bodily posture, the expression of their faces, and the movement of their lips in order to punish severely any violation. And the one thing that the poor sisters yearned for above all was the Eucharist. And an old Christian lady offers her, offered her services to the bishop to secretly bring them consecrated hosts wrapped in a handkerchief. She presented herself to the prisoners and in plain view of the guards, she assumed the character of a person mad with rage, spewing a torrent of insults against the nuns. But at a certain moment, she slipped her little bundle to one of the nuns and left the prison, promising the guards that she would return to mock the sisters. And so in that way, she was able to bring the heavenly food to those persecuted people. And so we can be assured of the heavenly comfort and age, and aid rather, which the Holy, Holy Communion brings to us, particularly to the sick. We could try to be aware of Our Lady in our period of thanksgiving. In one of his encyclicals, John Paul II talks about how Our Lady would have attended the Masses of St. John and would have received the body of Christ from the hands of St. John. And he likes to think about what, what fervor Our Lady must have had when she received the body of Christ. The body of Christ was coming into her soul in the same way as at the Annunciation. And so we can't adore and love Jesus better at that moment than by uniting ourselves to the mother of God. By making ours the same sentiments of adoration and love that she would have had for her divine son enclosed within her immaculate womb. She's the heavenly bond that unites us to Jesus. Our Lady, so the curie of ours, stays always between us and her son. 
when we pray to Jesus with her, when we adore him and love him with the heart of Our Lady, our every prayer and our every act of adoration and of love become pure and precious. We like to say that when our hands have touched aromatic substances, these render fragrant all they touch. Let us allow ourselves, let us allow our prayers to pass through the hands of Our Lady, and she will make them fragrant. And so our thanksgiving after Holy Communion pass through her immaculate heart. She will transform it into a most pure song of adoration and love. Who will ever be able to know perfectly the divinity of Jesus, adore him, love him, and let himself be divinized, as Our Lady was at the message of the angel. Who will ever be able to bear Jesus alive within himself and remain deeply united to him in adoration and love, as Our Lady did in the mystery of the visitation? Who will be ever be able to be filled with Jesus to beget him and present him to others, as did the Virgin Mother in the stable in Bethlehem? And so we can only gain and benefit and remaining united to Our Lady. We're told in the furrow, do not neglect to say, Jesus, I love you. And make one spiritual communion, at least each day, in atonement for all the profanations and sacrileges he suffers, because he wants to be with us. Another aspect of our thanksgiving could be atonement. Atone to our Lord for all the ways in which he's neglected or persecuted. Think of how we would prepare for Holy Communion if we could only receive Communion once in our life. In another of his encyclicals, John Paul II says, for Mary, receiving the Eucharist must have somehow meant welcoming him once more into her womb, that heart which had beat in unison with hers, and reliving what she experienced at the foot of the cross. In the Eucharist, he says, the Church is completely united to Christ and his sacrifice, and makes her own the spirit of Mary. This truth can be understood more deeply by rereading the Magnificat in the Eucharistic key. The Eucharist, like the Canticle of Mary, is first and foremost praise and thanksgiving. When Mary exclaims, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, she already bears Jesus in her womb. She praises God through Jesus, but she also praises him in Jesus and with Jesus. This is itself the true Eucharistic attitude. He continues, at the same time, Mary recalls the wonders worked by God in salvation history, in fulfillment of the promise once made to the fathers, and proclaims the wonder that surpasses them all, the redemptive incarnation. 
Lastly, the Magnificat reflects the eschatological tension of the Eucharist. Every time the Son of God comes again to us, in the poverty of the sacramental signs of bread and wine, the seeds of that new history, wherein the mighty are put down from their thrones, and those of low degree are exalted, takes root in the world. Mary sings of the new heaven and the new earth, which finds in the Eucharist their anticipation and in some sense their program and plan. The Magnificat expresses Mary's spirituality. And there is nothing greater than this spirituality for helping us to experience the mystery of the Eucharist. The Eucharist has been given to us so that our life, like that of Mary, may become completely a Magnificat. Many are the saints who have said all sorts of wonderful things about the Blessed Eucharist. St. Pius X said devotion to the Eucharist is the noblest of devotions. Because it has God as its object. It is the most profitable for salvation, he says, because it gives us the author of grace. This is the sweetest because the Lord is sweetness itself. Only God could work such transformations using according to his ways those who count for nothing to reduce to nothing those who are something, says St. Paul. And so it's all due to him, to the divine and infinite power of the Eucharist the almighty force of attraction which radiates from every tabernacle. The Eucharist is the true Emmanuel, the God with us. The faith of the church, said Pope Pius XII, teaches that one and identical is the word of God and the Son of Mary, who suffered on the cross, who is present in the Eucharist, who rules in heaven. And so Jesus wishes to enter within us, to be our food for eternal life, our love, our support. He wants to make us part of his mystical body, in which he would redeem us and save us, and then take us into the kingdom of heaven to settle us in an everlasting bliss of love. There was a, an engineering student in Manila one time who was a Catholic, but didn't know his Catholic faith very well. And he found he was looking for something, but he didn't know what it was he was looking for. And so he became a Baptist, he spent two years as a Baptist. And then he found whatever he was looking for, it wasn't in the Baptist faith. And so then he became a Mormon, he spent another two years as a Mormon. But found also that whatever he was looking for, it wasn't there either. And then one day he read a passage from John chapter 6. It said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger, and he who receives me shall never thirst. 
when he realized, well, that's what I'm looking for. Something to satisfy my hunger and my thirst. And so he began to rediscover the mystery of the Blessed Eucharist in his own Catholic faith. And that began to draw him back to Catholicism like a magnet. And so he reconverted back to Catholicism. And sometime later, he thought he would like to become a priest. But when the Cardinal Archbishop of Manila heard that he'd been a Mormon and a Baptist, he wasn't too comfortable about allowing him into the seminary. So he had to go to a different university to study philosophy and theology. When it was clear that he was bona fide, he was ordained and accepted into the diocese. And his first assignment was in the chaplaincy of the university where he'd studied engineering. And every day in the mass, when it came to the moment to hold up the sacred host and say, this is the Lamb of God. This is he who takes away the sins of the world. He would add, this is the bread of life. This is why I left the Mormon faith and this is why I left the Baptist faith. But then there were many Mormons and Baptists in that university and they didn't like him saying these things, so they complained. And he had to be moved to a different parish where he is to this day. And so conversion through the bread of life. It comes to strengthen us and to heal us. Eucharist is also our medicine. The greatest gift that God can give us because he gives us everything. St. Augustine says, although God is all-powerful, he's unable to give us more. Though supremely wise, he knows not how to give more. Though vastly rich, he has not more to give. We couldn't have more than that. To the Eucharist then we should go, turn to Jesus, who wishes to make himself ours in order to make us his, making us godlike. And Augustine said, you will find all in the Eucharist, the warm words you want to hear, the knowledge and the miracles you need, even miracles. The Eucharist is the heavenly leaven, lifts us up onto a new plane, capable of fermenting in the human nature of every, every person, all spiritual and temporal goods. It's so great a good that one cannot desire anything greater. One cannot desire more when Jesus himself is within us, the word made flesh. And so Lord, help me to grow in my piety. They very, take very good care of you in those moments. If we but knew the gifts of God who is love, and who gives himself to us as a gift full of love, says St. Bernard, the Eucharist, he said, is that love which surpasses all loves in heaven and earth. St. Thomas Aquinas says the Eucharist is the sacrament of love. It signifies love, it produces love. It's the supreme proof of the love of Jesus. We can ask for nothing greater. St. Thomas Aquinas referred to our, <clears throat> our Lord as the author of life. 
It's one in a very special way Jesus is there. <clears throat> St. Margaret Mary, <clears throat> like to say all for the Eucharist, nothing for me. St. Catherine of Siena said, Father, I am hungry. For the love of God, give this soul her food, our Lord in the Eucharist. We're told in the forge we must be thankful to God that he makes it so easy for us to come to him. But we should show our gratitude by preparing ourselves to receive him well. Tell our Lord, he says, that from now on, every time you celebrate Mass or attend it, and every time you administer or receive the sacrament of the Eucharist, you will do so with a great faith, with a burning love, just as if it was the last time in your life. And be sorry for the carelessness of your past life. I can understand, we're told in the forge, your keenness to receive the Holy Eucharist each day. Those who feel they are children of God have an overpowering need of Christ. Pope St. John Paul liked to call Our Lady the woman of the Eucharist. We could turn to the woman of the Eucharist and ask her to help us to take very good care of this period each day so that we might savor it, grow in it, and learn to appreciate the body of Christ and love him just like she did. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations that you have communicated to me during this meditation. I ask your help to put them into practice. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.